welcome to Infinite Cast, a podcast. Infinite um, Cats. Infinite Cats. Can you imagine? Too many. There'd be too many cats. <laughs> uh, hello, we are back. We're back in Brooklyn, back in the New York groove. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those of you who've been keeping track of our various travels, uh, you know, it's, it's good to be back home. And that also means critically, most essentially, we can now hopefully ki- get the pod back on the uh, regular uh, schedule. Wrangling control of the pod. Yes. So, We're walking here. So this one will go up on Sunday, but then hopefully we'll get back to sometime on Saturday. But again, this this pod, no real schedule. It comes out when it comes out. <laughs> you get you get it when it cu- when it comes out. Let it happen. Uh, let it let it feel feel it all around you. Feels like we're only going backwards. Yes, baby. Uh, all right, so we're gonna finish up Eschaton today. Uh, a helpful listener pointed out that we missed part of a uh, an end note, so I think we're going to finish Eschaton and then go back and pick up the part of the end note that we missed yeah. just for completion. We it's have to just math, but we we gotta. I it, I I would be upset if we did not read the whole book. Yes, we have to. We have. To, we're going for a hundred percent completion here. Yes. Yes. We're not. We're not leaving any of the side quests. Uh, or you know, item collection missions, yeah. uh, unfilled. No, we're and we're not, completing. Yeah. No right. stern untoned. <laughs> no stern untoned. No stern untoned. Uh, okay, so let's get into it. Yeah, do you are you gonna pop up some tennis on yeah, the screen? Yeah, I'm putting as on some tennis highlights. All right, so we were at a crucial moment when we left off. Yes. Uh, the, do you remember what happened? Yeah, but I I, I always forget all the uh, non all the names. Kids. The, so the little kid who Evan everybody Ingersoll. hates. Evan Ingersoll has just uh, popped the chick. With a uh, with a tennis ball, yes. Uh, thus initiating a surprising new phase of mm-hmm. the Eschaton combat. Yes. All right, let's get into it. Pemulus and Pen and Lord and everyone else all freeze, shocked and silent. So there's just the weird glittered hiss of falling snow and the sounds of a couple crows interfacing in the pines over by HMH. The Asthmi fans are silent and four sweat-sock-shaped clouds of exhaust hang motionless over the sun-strand stacks. Nothing moves. No Eschaton combatant has ever intentionally struck another combatant's physical person with a five-megaton thermonuclear weapon. No matter how frayed players' nerves, it's never made a lick of sense. <laughs> a combatant's megatonnage is too precious to waste on personal attacks outside the map. It's been like this unspoken but very basic rule. And kitten plan is so shocked and enraged that she stands there transfixed, quivering, her sights locked on Ingersoll and his smoking Rossignol. Otis P. Lord feels at his beanie. Ingersoll now makes a show of examining the tiny nails of his left hand and casually suggests that Earlib Seer has just scored a direct five-megaton contact burst against Sovor's entire launch capacity, namely Air Marshal Aaron Kittenplan, <laughs> and that plus also Amnat's own launch capacity, plus both combatants' ordnance and heads of state all lie well within the blast kill radius, which by Ingersoll's rough calculations extends from the Ivory Coast to the Doubles Alley's Senegal. Unless, of course, that kill radius is somehow altered by the possible presence of climatic snow, he adds, beaming. <laughs> Pemulus you, and... What, you asshole. He's a dick. Uh, he's a joker. He has become the joker. Pemulus and Kittenplan now each let loose with a linear series of anti-Ingersoll invectives that drown each other out and make the trees' crows take slow flight. But Otis Lord, who's watched the exchange, Ashen, and has called up something relevant on NSTAT's Tree Master Meta Decision uh, subdirectory, now, to everyone's horror, removes from around his neck 
a shoelace with a little nickel-colored key and bends to the small locked Solander box on the food cart's bottom shelf. And as everyone watches in horror, opens the box and with near ceremonial care, exchanges the white beanie on his head for the red beanie that signifies utter global crisis. <laughs> the dreaded red UGC beanie has been donned by an Eschaton game master only once before, and that was over three years ago, when human input error on NSTAT tallies of aggregate souffdier during a three-way sack pop free-for-all <laughs> yielded an apparent ignition of the Earth's atmosphere. <laughs> now a real-world chill descends over the grainily white-swirled landscape of the nuclear theater. Can I say that? Of, of all of this, the thing that actually kind of makes me uncomfortable is that it's set in like the, the early cold of a November day. Mm -hmm. I guess I just always imagined this as being like a, a summer activity. Hot tennis. Yeah, yeah no, it's tennis. their it's miserable like out, yeah, outdoors. Something it's snowing. Something about being on a tennis court with when there's like a light early November snow is just like, it feels wrong to me. Yeah, I, I agree. I have only ever been on a tennis court when it is like blisteringly hot out. Or it's just inside and yeah. temperature controlled. You're right. You're right. Uh, Pemulus tells Lord he cannot believe his fucking eyes. He tells Lord how dare he don the dreaded red beanie over such an obvious instance of map-not-territory equivocationary horseshit as Ingersoll's trying to foist. Lord, bent to the carts blinking you shit you, responds that there seems to be a problem. Ingersoll is whistling and pretending to do the Charleston between Abu Kamal and S. Sueda using his racket like a hoofer's cane. <laughs> Hal finally spits. Under Pemulus's wild-eyed stare, Lord clears his throat and calls out to Ingersoll, tentatively positing that today's pre-game triggering situation negotiations establish no valid strategic target areas in the postage stamp-sized nation of Sierra Leone. Ingersoll calls back across the Mediterranean that target areas of keen strategic interest appeared in Sierra Leone at the exact moment the heads of state and total launch capacities of Amnat and Sovor took it upon themselves to traipse into Sierra Leone. That Sierra Leone thenceforth as of that moment has, or rather had, he pretends to correct with a smile, become a de facto uh, S-Strac, S-S-T-R-A-C. If presidents... Uh, Strategic target area. Strategic or target, yeah, yeah. Uh, if presidents and premiers wanted to leave the protection of their territory's defense nets and hold clicky little other combatant excluded parlays in some hut somewhere, that was up to them. <laughs> but Lord had been wearing the white beanie that explicitly authorized the overexploited and underdeveloped defenders of the one true faith of the world to keep <laughs> on pursuing their strategic interests. And Earlib Seer was now keenly interested in the aggregate Indier points it had coming to them for just now vaporizing both super combatants' strategic capacities with one flaming sword of the most high-like strike. And Kittenplan keeps taking a couple quivery steps toward Ingersoll and getting restrained and pulled back by Lamont Chu. Sleepy T.P. Peterson, who always looks a little dazed even in the best of circumstances, asks Otis P. Lord to define equivocationary for him, causing Hal and Condenza to laugh out loud despite himself. Just outside the theater's fence, Pemulus is bug-eyed with fury, not impossibly drin-activated, and is literally jumping up and down in one spot so hard that his yachting cap jumps slightly off his head with each impact, which <laughs> Trolch and Axford confer and agree they have previously seen occur only in animated cartoons. Uh, have you ever seen anybody literally be hopping mad? Hopping mad. mad? Um, that's a good question. I don't think I have. Nothing comes to mind. I don't, don't see people don't mad see a lot. Mad, people mad that often, I yeah. guess. What's that about? 
I feel like I should, you know, be madder in yeah, general. Get more allow mad. myself to be mad about things. Yeah. yeah. I once got really mad on a road trip that the, uh, about the idea of Beat Bobby Flay, the TV show, <laughs> uh, where he comes into your kitchen yes. and says, I can make your signature dish better than you. I haven't been working on it for very long, but surely I've got something in the can. How disrespectful. And sometimes he wins. Disgusting. <laughs> I'm holding myself back, but I really got going in the car. Yes. The more you, I thought about it, I was like, it's just you, completely, it's a, just a horrible thing to do to a, another chef. It's, you had it quite out for Mr. Flynn. I do. I Man, fuck that guy. He also cheated on his wife. He did? The girl who was in, the woman who was in Law & Order SVU, one of the uh, assistant district attorneys. Not Mariska Hargaday. No, the blonde. Not that blonde, the other blonde. <laughs> I don't. I, yes. Anyway, I could get hopping mad about that. All right, well, uh, go off on Bobby Flay some other time, I guess. Sure. Uh, Pemulus howls that Lord is in his vacillation, appeasing Ingersoll in Ingersoll's effort to fatally fuck with the very breath and bread of Eschaton, which takes us to end note one thirty. Oh. Oh. There's like a graph. No, that's. Oh, we're like way behind. Pemulus doesn't literally, uh, actually literally say breath and bread. <laughs> Back to the text. Players themselves can't be valid targets. Players aren't inside the goddamn game. Players are part of the apparatus of the game. They're part of the map. It's snowing on the players, but not on the territory. They're part of the map, not the cluster-fucking territory. You can only launch against the territory, not against the map, it's like the one ground rule boundary that keeps Eschaton from degenerating into chaos. Eschaton, gentlemen, is about logic and axiom and mathematical probity and discipline and verity and order. You do not get points for hitting anybody real. Only the gear that maps what's real. Pemulus keeps looking back over his shoulder to the pavilion and screaming, Jesus! <laughs> Ingersoll's roommate, J.J. Penn, tries to claim that the vaporized Ann Kitten plan is wearing several articles of gear worth mucho indier, and everyone tells him to shut up. <laughs> the snow is uh, now coming down hard enough to compose an environment. <laughs> the snow is now coming down hard enough to compose an environment, <laughs> and everybody outside the sheltered pavilion looks gauzily shrouded from Hal's perspective. He's so stoned. <laughs> A uh, lord is crunching madly away at the TP under the just open protection of an old beach umbrella a previous game master had welded to the top of the food cart. Lord wipes his nose against the same shoulder that's clamping a phone to his ear awkwardly and reports he's checked the DEC's es Eschaton Axiom directory via Pink 2 capable modem and that unfortunately, with all due respect to Anne and Mike, it doesn't seem to explicitly say players with strategic functions can't become target areas if they traipse around outside their defense nets. Lamont Chu says, how come point values for actual players have never been assigned then, for Pete's sake? And Pemulus shouts across that that's so totally beside the point it doesn't matter. But the reason players aren't explicitly exempted in the eskax.deer uh, es is that their <laughs> exemption is what makes Eschaton and its axioms fucking possible in the first place. A kind of pale boat wake of exhaust exits the idling Ford sedan off behind the pavilion and widens as it rises, dispersing. Pemulus says, because otherwise, use your heads. Otherwise, non-strategic emotions would get aroused and combatants <laughs> would be whacking balls at each other's physical persons all the time and Eschaton wouldn't even be possible in its icily elegant game-theoretical form. I like non-strategic non emotions. <laughs> He's stopped jumping up and down, at least. <laughs> Trollch observes. 
player's exemption from strikes goes without saying, Pemulus says. It's like pre-axiomatic. Pemulus tells Lord to consider what he's doing very carefully because from where Pemulus <laughs> is standing, Lord looks to be willing to very possibly compromise Eschaton's map for all time. Girls 16's 18's pro-rector Mary Esther Thode puts from left to right uh, behind the pavilion on the long driveway from the circular drive to the portcullis and halts her scooter and lifts her helmet's tinted visor and yells across for kitten plan to put a hat on if she's going to play in the snow in a crew cut. <laughs> this, even though kitten plan, is, isn't even strictly in Ms. Thode's like umbrella of authority, Axford observes to Trolch, who relays this fact into his headset. Hal moves his mouth around to try to gather up spit in a mouth that's gotten rather dry, which when you have a plug of Kodiak in is not very pleasant. <laughs> Anne Kittenplan has been suffering from what looks like almost Parkinsonian tremors for the last few minutes, her face writhing and her mustache almost standing right out straight. Lamont Chu repeats his claim that there's no way players, even with strategic functions, can ever be legit target areas if no Indir slash Sufdir values have been entered for them uh, in Enstat's tally function. Pemulus orders Chu not to distract Otis Lord from the incredibly potent and lethal ground Lord's letting Ingersoll lead them onto. He says none of them have ever even seen the true meaning of the word crisis yet. <laughs> Ingersoll calls over to Pemulus that his emeritus veto power is only over Lord's calculations, not over today's game's God's decisions about what part, what's part of the game and what isn't. Pemulus invites Ingersoll to do something anatomically impossible. <laughs> Pemulus asks Lamont Chu and Ann Kittenplan if they're just going to stand there with their thumbs in their bottoms and let Lord let Ingersoll eliminate Eschaton's map for keeps for one slimy cheesy victory in just one day's apocalypse see at this point I'm inclined to agree with Pemulus that you can't hit a play a an actual other player because they are not actually they are avatars they're not represented they're in the avatars. game it's like hitting the map key or something yes but I think Ingersoll should have been able to make contact with the ground that they were on and, and effectively nuke the summit yes I think the problem is that there was not even a sock on the ground that to, uh, to substantiate such a thing I but even then I would say I would I would take into account uh, his argument that the 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 territory became strategic. When it became the site of a summit, it could just be incorporated into the rules in a sense. Yes, because it is basically. true. It's if the rules do not uh, account for people leaving their defense defense things, nets, then one might say, uh, "Shout out Cole Porter, anything goes." Anything goes. Did he say? Did he write that song? <laughs> did he write I think that so. song? Okay. Oh, sorry, lost my place. Uh, Kitten Plan has been trembling and feeling at the back of her vein-laced head and looking across <laughs> the Mediterranean at Ingersoll like somebody who knows they'll go to prison for what they want to do. He has a habit of... It seems like all the female characters other than uh, what's-her-name-with-the-veil have a bit of the grotesque to them. She's a grotesque, and you find out over time. At first, you're like, well, she's going to masculine, and then she has a crew cut? Have and you ever her seen... Her head's veiny. Her head, she has she a veiny crew cut mustache, and a mustache yeah. standing out straight. Yeah. This girl's wild. Uh, th this this chick is low key nice with it. Uh, Axford posits certain very unlikely physical conditions under which what Pemulus told Ingersoll to do to himself wouldn't be totally impossible. <laughs> Hal spits thickly and gathers and tries to spit again, watching. Trolch broadcasts the fact that there's always a queer, vague, vitaminish stink about Mary Esther Thode that he can never quite place. 
There's the sudden tripartite wump of three Empire Waste displacement vehicles being propelled above the cloud cover to points far north. Hal identifies Thode's ambient odor as the the stink of thiamine, which for reasons best known to Thode, she takes a lot of, and Trolch broadcasts the datum and refers to Hal as a close source, which strikes (laughs) Hal as odd and somehow off in a way he can't quite name. Kitten Plan shakes Chu's arm loose and darts over and extracts a warhead from Sovor's portable stockpile and shouts out that, okay, well, then if players can be targets, then in that case... And with uh, then she fires a real screamer at Ingersoll's head, which Ingersoll, ba- <laughs> which Ingersoll barely blocks with his Rossignol, and shrieks that Kitten Plan can't launch anything at, at anything because she's been so vaporized by a five megaton contact burst. Kitten Plan tells Ingersoll to write his congressman about it, <laughs> and over Lamont Chu's pleas for reasoned discussion, takes several more theoretically valuable warheads out of the industrial solvent bucket and gets truly serious about hitting Ingersoll, moving steadily east across Nigeria and Chad, causing Ingersoll to run due north across the quartz's map at impressive speed, abandoning Earlib Sears' ammo bucket and tear-assing up through Siberia, crying, Foul! Uh, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. He's fucking around. And now he's finding and now out. Now he's finding out. Well, I, they have to resolve the situation first because is she dead or not? Is she dead or not? Lords mewing ineffectually for order, but some of the other combatant staffs have begun to smell that Evern Ingersoll's become fair game for cruelty. Also, I'm not entirely certain. Is is this turn-based? Or can you kind of act whenever you want? I I believe it's somewhat turn-based, although I cannot confirm. Hmm. I'm going to have to look up a real I don't think you can just all do it at the same time. I think things have to progress linearly. Try to remind me sometime this week. I'm going to see if I can find a a made rule set for this game. Sure. Uh, Have begun to smell that Evan Ingersoll has become fair game for cruelty the way kids can seem to smell this sort of thing out with such uncanny acuity. And Red Chai's uh, general secretary and an AMNAT vector planning specialist and Josh Gopnik all start moving northeast over the map, firing balls as hard as they can at Ingersoll, who's dropped his launcher and is shaking frantically at the chained gate on the fence's north side. (laughs) Let me in! Where Mrs. Where Mrs. Incondensa has decided she doesn't want kids exiting the East Courts and trampling her Calliopsis, and these little kids can hit balls exceptionally hard. Hal is now unable to gather enough spit to spit. One warhead hits Ingersoll in the neck, and another solidly in the meat of the thigh. Ingersoll begins to limp around in uh, slow, cir- small circles, holding his neck crying in that slow motion shuddery way little kids have when they're crying more at the fact of being hurt than at the hurt itself that's the other thing these kids are so young he's like 10 10 or 11 yes one warhead hits ingress oh sorry oops uh pemulus is walking backwards away from the south fence back toward the pavilion and has both arms up in either appeal or fury or something else Axford tells hal and trolls he wishes he didn't feel the dark thrill he felt watching ingressall get pummeled some filmy red peanut skin has gotten into Jim Strzok's hair as he lies there motionless. OP Lord attempts to rule that Ingersoll is no longer on the four courts of Eschaton's Earth map and so isn't even theoretically a valid target area. It doesn't matter. Several kids close in on Ingersoll, triangulating their bombardment. T. Peterson on point. Ingersoll is hit several times, once right near the eye. 
Jim Trolls is up and running to the fence, wanting to stop the thing, but Pemulus catches him by his headset's cord and tells them to let them all lie in their own bed. Hal, now leaning forward, steeple-fingered, finds himself just about paralyzed with absorption. <laughs> Trevor Axford, fist to his chin, asks Hal if he's ever simply fucking hated somebody without having any idea why. <laughs> Hal finds himself riveted at something about the de- degenerating game that seems so terribly abstract and fraught with implications and consequences that even thinking about how to articulate it seems so complexly stressful that being almost incapacitated with absorption is almost the only way out of the complex stress. <laughs> now, Indpak's Penn and Amnat's McKenna who have long-standing personal bones to pick with Ann Kitten Plan, peel off and gather ordnance and execute a pincer movement on Ann Kitten Plan. A temporal pincer movement? I, I don't know. Do you know? I don't know what that means. Well, I, I've watched Tenet twice. I still don't understand what it means. Oh. She is hit twice from behind at close range. Ingersoll uh, has long since gone, oh, temporal pincer. Yeah. Sorry, I forgot. I forgot everything about that stupid movie. (laughs) Talk about Hal being uh, so stoned and confused that he just can't stop watching something. That was you and Tenet. That was me and Tenet. Uh, She's hit twice from behind at close range. Ingersoll has long since gone down and is still getting hit. Lord is ruling at the top of his lungs that there's no way Amnat can launch against itself when he gets tagged right on the breastbone by an errant warhead. (laughs) Clutching his chest with one hand, with the other he flicks the red beanie's propeller, never before flicked, whose flicked spin heralds a worst case and utterly decontrolled Armageddon-type situation. Timmy Peterson takes a ball in the groin and goes down like a sack of refined flour. (laughs) Everybody's scooping up spent warheads and totally unrealistically refiring them. The fences shudder and sing as balls rain against them. Ingersoll now resembles some sort of animal that's been run over in the road. Trolch, who's looking for the first time at the idling sedan by Westhouse's dumpsters and asking if anybody knew anybody who drove a Nunhagen aspirin adverting Ford, <laughs> is the only upper-class spectator who doesn't seem utterly silently engrossed. Ann Kiddenplan has dropped her racket and is charging McKenna. She takes two contact bursts in the breast area before she gets to him and lays McKenna out with an impressive left cross. (laughs) Lamont Chu tackles Todd Postlethwaite from behind. Strzok looks to have wet his pants in his sleep. J.J. Penn slips on a grounded warhead near Fiji and goes spectacularly down. The snowfall makes everything gauzy and terribly clear at the same time, eliminating all visual background so that the map's actions seem stark and surreal. Nobody's using tennis balls now anymore. Josh Gopnik punches Lamont Chu in the stomach, and Lamont Chu yells that he's been punched in the stomach. (laughs) (laughs) Ann Kittenplan has Kieran McKenna in a headlock and is punching him repeatedly on the top of the skull. Otis P. Lord lets down the beach umbrella and starts pushing his crazy-wheeled food cart at a diskette-rattling clip toward 12's open south gate, still flicking furiously at the red beanie's propeller. Struck's hair is steadily accreting uh, nutskins. Uh, Pemulus is undercover but still standing, his legs well apart, and his arms folded. The figure in the green Ford still hasn't moved once. 
Trolch says he, for his own part, wouldn't just be sitting and lying there if any of the little buddies under his personal charge were out there getting potentially injured. And Hal reflects that he does feel a sort of intense anxiety, but can't sort through the almost infinite-seeming implications of what Trolch is saying fast enough to determine whether the anxiety is over something about what he's seeing or something in the connection between what Trolch is saying and the degree to which he's absorbed and what's going on out there inside the fence, which is a degenerative chaos so complex in its disorder that it's hard to tell whether it seems choreographed or simply chaotically disordered. Lamont Chu is throwing up into the Indian Ocean. Todd Postlethwaite has his hands to his face and is shrieking something about his doze. It is now beyond any argument or equivocation snowing. The sky is off-white. Lord and his cart are now literally making tracks for the edge of the map. (laughs) Evan Ingersoll hasn't moved in several minutes. Penn lies in a whitening service box with one leg bent beneath him at an impossible angle. Someone way off behind them has been blowing an athletic whistle. (laughs) And Kittenplan begins to chase Red Chai's general secretary south across the Asian subcontinent at top speed. Pemulus is telling Hal he hates to say he told them so. Pal can see Axford leaning way forward, sheltering something tiny from the wind as he flicks at it with a spent lighter. It occurs to him this is the third anniversary of Axe Handle losing a right finger and half his right thumb. I don't know the, the backstory about that, or I don't remember. Yeah, I... Maybe we'll learn. Was it, was it referenced in the, the, ch- the chapter where they go to the tournament? No, it, it would have been uh, it three, three years, so it would have been something that happened when they were uh, like 14. Yeah. Can do it or DM me. It occurs to sorry, keep fucking this up. Fierce little Jay Gopnik is flailing at the air and telling whoever wants it to come on, come on. <laughs> Otis P. Lord and his cart sail clattering across Indochina toward the southern gate. Hal is suddenly aware that Trolch and Pemulus are wincing, but is not himself wincing and isn't sure why they are wincing and is looking out into the fray trying to determine whether he should be wincing when Red Chai's general secretary, calling loudly for his mother, and in full flight as he looks over his shoulder at Anne Kittenplan's contorted face, barrels directly into Lord's speeding food cart. There's a noise like the historical sum of all cafeteria accidents everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) 3.6 megabyte diskettes take flight like mad bats across what uncovered would be the baseline of Court 12. Different colored beanies spill from the rolling Solander box, whose lock's hasp is broken and protrudes like a tongue as it rolls. The TP's monitor and modem and you shit you ch- chassis, with most of its uh, Eschaton's nervous system on its hard drive, assume a parabolic southwest vector. Parabolic? Parabolic. Parabolic southwest vector. The heavy equipment's altitude is impressive. An odd, silent, still moment hangs, the TP aloft. Pemulus bellows, his hands to his cheeks. Otis P. Lord hurdles the bent forms of food cart and general secretary and sprints low over the court's map snow, trying to save hardware that's now at the top of his rainbow's arc. It's clear Lord won't make it. It's a slow motion moment. The snowfall's more than heavy enough now, Hal thinks, to excuse Lord's not seeing Lamont Chu directly before him on his hands and knees throwing up. Lord impacts Chu's arched form at about knee level and is spectacularly airborne. The idling Ford reveals a sudden face at the driver's side window. Axford is holding the lighter's chassis up to his ear and shaking it. 
And Kitten Plan is ramming Red Chai's leader's face repeatedly into the mesh of the south fence. Lord's f- flight's parabola is less spectacular on the y-axis than the TPs had been. The you shit use hard drive ch- chassis makes an indescribable sound as it hits the earth and its brightly circuited guts come out. The color monitor lands on its back with its screen blinking error at the white sky. Hal and everyone else can project Lord's flight's own terminus an instant before impact. For a brief moment that Hal will later regard as completely and uncomfortably bizarre, Hal feels at his own face to see whether he is wincing. The distant whistle petweets. Lord does indeed go headfirst down through the monitor's screen. Oh no. And stays there, his sneakers in the air and his warm-up pants sagging upward to reveal black socks. There'd been a bad sound of glass. Pen flails on his back. Postlethwaite, Ingersoll, and McKenna bleed. The second shift's 1600 siren down at Sunstrand Power and Light is creepily muffled by the no sound of falling snow. Yikes. Yikes. I hope Lord's okay. That, that, uh... Uh, that escalated quickly. <laughs> well, that happened. Wow! So that happened. Yes, that's a ma- that's a major. So that happened. Uh, yes, that gets a uh, much more violent than I imagined going. I kind of pictured at, when we stopped last week that they would just have a childish argument about this for a long time. Mm. Well, it's a bunch that of stressed out like, little babies. Yeah, it sounds like the, it sounds like that Lord kid is going to need to go to the hospital. You are so right. Okay. He's going to need to go to the hospital. Uh, well, that sucks for him. He was just trying to keep everything in order. <laughs> He was, he was just, he was a uh, uh, DMing. He was DMing. Uh, I hope they buy him, you know, some some nice flowers or chocolates. I hope you get some some nice visitors. Yes, yeah, so, uh, some nice visitors to uh, ease his pain. Uh, another, <laughs> just another brilliant uh, little thing that's like, you know, what that that effectively describes that whole chunk that we read today about two minutes of time mm-hmm. uh, over the course of what ten pages of. of uh, mm-hmm. like rigorous detail yeah they I, like yada yada over most of the game and then the yeah. like last two minutes is just like it is like a slow motion yeah yeah i mean that is kind of how he writes he he kind of writes in in slow motion yeah he yes. writes at 60 frames a second he does the uh the matrix um yeah it's like all uh, bullet time yeah he does he does bullet time yeah uh which is interesting but it, but it you know it, it is also like electrifying yeah, uh, in the way because it, it he writes that, like that like an action scene. You can mm-hmm. very much uh, you can very much um, feel every moment of it. Yeah, come on, can't can't you see the the uh, anime like it's a a spread with like the the uh, the TP aloft and yeah, the yeah. parabola and Lord going after him, and then you see the micro scenes. Strux passed out, having yeah, yeah. like pissed himself. Uh, Hal is feeling at his face to figure out whether he's oh, absolutely. Wincing. You could do either Pemulus one of those is... moments where it's like, um, like the moment that he the, he collides with the cart and everything's in the air. You like get that slow motion where like the 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 gear is flying with like the uh the mm-hmm. the action lines behind it, and then you do like the the boxes that like go on the screen yeah. like dunk 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 yeah. dunk dunk when you see like everybody's expression around yes. it. Uh, it's cool. It's good. Infinite Jest should be an anime. Did it? Did David Foster Wallace like comics? He like comic books. Like comic books. That's a good question. I don't know. I've never seen anything about him talking about it. I wonder if he. I, I would assume that he is either like he only reads like the trash comics, like uh, mm-hmm. probably not like a oh I I only read like Alan Moore and and Neil Gaiman and and the the, the literary comics. I'm sure he's like. 
I've read every Captain America published from eighteen from nineteen sixty to nineteen seventy five or right. something like that. You know, um, should I read this kind of dry uh, maths math section just to complete the uh, How long end is note? It? Uh, about a page total. All right, let's listen to some math. Okay, I can, and I can. Um, and then I have I have two. I'll kind of breathe. I'll I'll just buzz through it. Okay, I guess. great. And then I have two adjacent takes that I want to like infinite just adjacent takes that I, I want to get out at the end of this for your adjacent takes. All right, this is a uh, one twenty three, which I guess uh, I simply either missed or I don't know something fucked up in my I, ebook. Yes, I assume it was an ebook related issue because we had to go to the ebook while we were traveling. Yes. Uh, Pemulus here, dictating to Ink, who can just sit there making a steeple out of his fingers and pressing it to his lip and not take notes and wait and, like, inscribe, sick, it any time in the next week and get it verbatim, the smug turd. <laughs> Using the mean value formula for dividing available megatonnage amongst combatants whose GNP slash military slash slash military slash nuke ratios vary from eschaton to eschaton keeps you from needing to crunch out a new ratio for each combatant each time. Plus, lets you multi-regress the results so combatants get rewarded for past thermonuclear largesse, occasional, uh, in brackets, occasional verbal flourishes, howls, from HJI, <laughs> uh, unbracket. The formula is also provable by the extreme value theorem, which Wait, the what's EV... what's Hal's middle name? Uh, uh, I don't know. But, uh, Jim? Hal? Hal, Hal, Hal Jim? James? Hal, Hal, Hal James? James? In Condensa. Also, is Hal a full name? Halbert. How 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 Howard? How Howard? Hallie? How James? That's a great question. Kind of essential. HJI. Uh, this formula is also provable by the extreme value theorem, which the EV theorem itself has a proof that's just about the biggest unit twisting bitch in the whole of applied differentiation. But I see how grimacing, so we'll keep it compact, even though this whole thing is really interesting if you're interested and whatnot. <laughs> Say you got a combatant and a record of his past GNP slash military slash slash military slash nuke ratios. We want to give the combatant the like exact average of all the past megatonnages he's gotten in the past. The exact average is called the mean value, which ought to give us a bit of a giggle given the hostility of the context here. Ah, uh, yes, it's a, it is a mean. The value. only mean value is the value I am having right now because <laughs> you're, you're being, being mean, mean to, to me. me. Oh, a classic, a classic, uh, wifely solitude line. <laughs> go, go find, go find and watch the wife, the wifely solitude. A wifely solitude if on you YouTube. You can find it, yeah. Uh, so then, but let A stand for the mean value of a combatant's constantly fluctuating ratio and so constantly fluctuating initial megatonnage. We want to find A and give the combatant exactly A megatons. How to do it's pretty elegant, and all you need for it is two pieces of data, the most his ratio's ever been and the least it's ever been. These two datums, sick, are called the extreme values of the CN-N function for which A is the mean value, by the way. So then, but let, uh, so then, but so let F... <laughs> as in the function f, yes. uh, be a continuous non-negative function, meaning the ratio on the interval, uh, bracket a, b, unbracket, parentheses, meaning the difference between the least the ratio's ever been and the most it's ever been and whatnot, unparentheses. Are these little explanations aggravating? Sick. <laughs> Ink's looking at me like butter would freeze. It's hard to know what to assume v, what to explain. I'm trying to be as clear as I can be. Sick. And now he's looking at me like I'm digressing. Why don't you just pass that certain item back on here, <laughs> inculator? But so we've got F and we've got uh, brackets A, B. And let small r and large r be the smallest and biggest values of the function Fx on the interval A, comma, B. So now check out the rectangles of height r and height r, uh, big R, over the interval A, B in the diagram marked. Let's go ahead and mark it, say, Peemster. Please look at the graph. I see. It's a nice little sine wave. Yep. 
The mean value we're after, A, can now be expressed integrally integrally, (laughs) as the area of some intermediate type rectangle whose height is taller, sick, than R, but shorter, sick, than R. From here on, it's just hit. We need a constant. You always need a constant. Inks, no, I almost just ripped the page. Uh, Inks shaking his head sarcastically like I think I'm saying something sage. Let D be any constant for computational reasons. The closer the one to one, the better. So like let D be the size of uh, Hal's unit. <laughs> Hal condenses addendum in meters. Uh, pa- Michael Pemulus's resumption. Very funny. Uh, so now just looking at the wicked illuminating Peemster diagram above, you can see that this area we want A equals, uh, a, a, what even is this? What a is function? this? No, that's function. What is this big wavy thing? Uh, it's the function of the function. The function X of the DX. function. Okay, I can't read this. I I'm so dumb. I've never done that. I don't that. know. I haven't thought about fucking functions well, in like 15 years. A equals function AB of function X DX is going to be bigger than the area of the rectangle with height R, and but also smaller than the area of the rectangle with height big R. Pure mental reason, sick, compels then that, sick, somewhere in there between small R and large R, there's an exact height, FX uh, apostrophe, such that I have to say that every demonstration of a, th- a stats theorem has let and such that in them, mostly I think because they're so <laughs> wicked much fun to say, such that the rectangle of this height, FX uh, apostrophe, over the whole interval, AB, has exactly the area we want, the mean value of all the historic sick expenditure ratios, in other words, in extracted form, the function AB of function FX DX equals uh, F uh, multiplied by X apostrophe times in parentheses b minus a where b minus a is just the size of the interval and so have a look at the revealing diagram labeled how's a dick (laughs) how's a dick this fucking works you don't have to crunch out a whole new ratio each time for each combatant to dole out the ordinance you just skim the highest and lowest ratios off the eschaton records the beanie man keeps on time on each time this is wicked this is fucking elegant Note that. <laughs> Note that's like another compulsory sick term. Note that the combatants' mean value megatonnage will change slightly from eschaton to eschaton, exactly the way a like hitter season average will alter just a little bit from at bat to at bat, depending integrally on what he delivered on his last trip to the plate and whatnot. Note also that you can find this mean value time saver with anything that varies within a definable set of boundaries and whatnot, like any line or a tennis court's boundaries or like maybe say a certain drug's urine level range between clean and royally pinched. As a like exercise, if you're interested, play three hours of high-level competitive junior uh, top-level ten- sick tennis and then, <laughs> and then calculate the mean value of the ratios of first serves to appearances at net and appearances at net to points one. For serve and volley, or this is how to tell serve dependent his match performance is. Delint does this kind of exercise every morning sitting on the can. It's going to be interesting to see if sick Hal, who thinks he's just too sly trying to outline eschaton in the third person tense, sick, like some jolly old eschatologist with leather patches on his elbows, sick, <laughs> if ink can transpose, sick, the math here without help from his mumster. Later. P.S. Alston rules. P.S. <laughs> Alston rules. It's wicked. <laughs> this is wicked. This is <laughs> fucking elegant. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, so that's the it. math. Uh, all right. Uh, my, my. Yeah. G- give do me we have any other uh, any other um, no, thoughts s- about about? I'm the salivating. Segment? I'm salivating for your takes. All right. The first thing uh, I wanted to bring up is uh, the thing that went down with Simone Biles this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of made me think about the uh, the. Infinite Jess Boys. Very good. Obviously, I think, obviously, you know, Simone Biles is a real person who has done, uh, who has a real life, and these are uh, 
joke fictional characters, but sure. you know, it is like made me think about like the uh, the insane insane pressure of being trained for a sport since basically birth. Yes, uh, and that you know, honestly, uh, quitting mid uh, performance. You know, it's basically uh, a kind of version of Hal opening his mouth and not being you know, having his breakdown at the beginning, right? Yeah, I th- I th- I think that tracks. I think that's an interesting connection because I agree. Uh, it's I mean, there's no coincidence that only the most sickos of people can handle the mental pressure yes. of athletics, and that as has been posited by David Foster Wallace in that book, tennis at a certain point you have trained almost as good as you can get, and everything is pretty much automatic. Right, and then it's just a mental game between you and your uh, opponent. Yes, that Andre Agassi said basically the same thing, and Andre Agassi sometimes he would just like fucking lose because he was like not in a good headspace. Yeah, but the difference is that when Simone Biles flips upside down a bunch of times, she doesn't lose; she dies. Yeah, she hurts her. Yeah, hurts herself. I think it's really hard to die during tennis unless you, uh, (laughs) unless you are Evan Ingersoll and you've been hit i didn't i don't i don't believe <laughs> I, he died. I, w- I would not like to see it but i i you know it, w- it would be a maze uh yeah the the risk of tennis is i would say at the end of the day pretty low yeah but the risk of gymnastics is it's very yeah it's very high especially at that level and yeah. she's at a level beyond what even other people doing those like uh, vaults and stuff uh, quitting mid Olympics, uh, not not to be uh, one of these like Twitter uh, hoes, but normalize qu- quitting <laughs> mid Olympics. Honestly, yeah, I, I know everybody had a fucking take about it. I mostly wanted to bring it up just because I was like, you know, I, I was thinking about you know the book and and real life co- uh, correspondences. Uh, but I, if we're lodging takes, I will say queen shit. Yeah, that I ro- think she that can fucking do. Rocks. She's she's changed the sport forever. Yeah. Not just uh, she's like being, what like twenty years old and has like twenty five gold she's 24, medals. Twenty four. I think most gymnasts make it to one Olympics. Most most elite gymnasts make it to zero Olympics. Yeah. Uh, imagine working your entire life for an incredibly narrow window of peaking uh, on the international mm. circuit to get on a team of six. Yes. Uh, that plays once every four, four years. years. That costs so much money to train, and you are making zero money while you are doing that because you are not allowed to accept. Uh, if you accept endorsements, you are not allowed to compete in college. Yes. Uh, so oftentimes you are broke as shit. Your parents are working like nine jobs. I have a very uh, per- personal, uh, not personal, because I don't know how to even <laughs> flip upside down. You but, should uh, learn. I I care. I've cared about gymnastics since seeing the 1996 team win the gold, but yes. at what cost? Uh, it's a it's an absolutely insane sport to be that good at, and yeah. she is truly the goat, probably one of the greatest athletes, simply of all time. Oh, simply of all time, and she can do whatever she wants. I would ju- I would actually really like if this, if that did normalize, and now and like we suddenly saw like a a, a spat, um, a raft of like I don't know, you know, an Indian badminton player just in the middle of a game throwing his <laughs> racket to the floor and being like, you know what, fuck this shit. This, this sucks. This I'm sucks. Out. Honestly, this sucks. Also, I mean, th- this is completely, I, think, I don't know how long they get to acclimatize, yeah. but you are training in, uh, where does she train? I forget. Uh, the Aspen? Don't they have like in, a facility in Colorado, I think? Uh, you train somewhere in America and you fly to freaking Japan and you have to like get your body used yeah, to things it, and yeah. it's during COVID? It is. Come it would on. be funny if you, because you, it is for like a lot of these people, like you train your entire life and you, because of how the Olympic timings work out, you get one shot at it. Yeah. And so you've been imagining being at the Olympics your entire life. Yeah. And you get there, 
and then you might just realize, you know what, this kind of sucks. I'm not have I'm this is not fun. I'm not into it. Yeah. I'm gonna take my I'm gonna take my uh shot put ball. Yeah. My shot put weighted ball that I assume that I each person has to take to the Olympics <laughs> and go home. Uh, the yeah, other- I, th- I think that's a, a good connection. I think, yeah, youth, uh, especially like youth elite uh, yeah. sports. Uh, I, I do think that there are at least definitely mental uh, similarities between yeah. tennis and gymnastics. Uh, yeah, I think you should have to be at like at least 20 to, to participate in the Olympics just to like take a little of the pressure off these children. Yeah, you do. I mean, it was funny. They raised the minimum age to be in uh, an Olympic gymnast, and I want to say that was in like two thousand four. Yeah, you had to be sixteen before you could basically be any age. I think <laughs> so. We had like thirteen-year-olds on the team, crushing their spines. Oh uh, God! The other thing that I want to talk about, yes, is that I think I have identified another cultural chaos room. Rune. Say more. A thing that makes people irrationally mad. Yeah. And it is music festivals. Yeah. People fucking love getting mad at people for going to music festivals. They hoes, hoes uh, are mad. Talking about the Woodstock 99, like there, it, people are so willing to and interested in like assuming that anyone who goes to a music festival is doing it for somewhat nefarious purposes. Just just hating. Just yeah. hate, hating on the idea of getting in a huge group of people and vibing. Yeah, exactly. And you, you see people that have this like weird tone of being like, can you, how, can you even imagine being outside and listening to music <laughs> with people that you don't know and thinking it was Fun? Like the, certainly you must be they you can't be doing this because you think it's fun. You you must only be there to uh 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 assert your your flaunt your wealth or uh do sexual assaults right. or um you know so, something evil. Something something nasty. Are, yeah. Yes. Between the Woodstock ninety nine documentary that we covered on Chapo this week, uh and we, Molly and you and I have covered extensively. Yeah. Um people love making out that the people who attended Woodstock 99 were essentially evil. Evil even before uh even even before all the bad stuff that happened there. They were bad the to want that, to go to that it. 100,000 people going to see Limp Bizkit is evil. Yeah. To which I'm just like what there's nothing in your life that you would like to experience in in a large yeah. format with other people. You don't you don't want to go see wrestling or uh tennis mm-hmm. or go shopping. I don't know. Like, there's there's nothing in life that brings you joy yeah. that you want to do it uh, in a big room with a bunch of other people. The other thing is people are getting upset about the crowd size at Lollapalooza because yeah. of one specific photo that was taken, which I have to say, the photo itself is actually really cool. It's a huge, yeah, you know, yeah. a wide shot of, like, heads, yeah. basically. <laughs> like, tons and tons of heads. Yeah, it looks I like a Where's Waldo photo. It's, it's taken at an angle that I think makes it look way denser than it actually is. Yeah. Uh, I assume they were on some kind of cherry picker or something. But people are getting upset. That Lollapalooza is happening, uh, and that we, you know, it is at a time when COVID is rearing its head again with Delta variant, yada yada. Mm-hmm. And to which I just want to ask, what will you have us do? Yes, they required vaccinations or negative COVID it's tests outside. It is outside, which we have like, uh, haven't we like established at this point that, that you can be outside that you can with be people outside? Yeah, and people are losing their minds, and I'm just like, what? You want us to you want to yeah. go back inside then. And it's also, you were comfortable in there, huh? And it's also like they'll let they're letting it happen so people will go and I don't think it's worth it even if you have 
like and you might be able to like add us afterwards and be like a pandemic scientist and be like actually here's all the reasons we shouldn't be doing this sure sure uh, but they're letting it happen and people will go. It's not their those people's uh, those people aren't bad for like wanting to do a normal thing, which is go see music in a large venue. And then, of course, the other thing people are always fucking mad at people for going to Coachella, which obviously has its own like obnoxious parts to it. Yeah. But it's like taken as like an inherent sign of like badness. I don't know. Obviously. I feel we feel as music festival enjoyers uh, somewhat defensive triggered. of this, but it is like we are triggered. We're super triggered, but it is like one of those things. That I'm like, people are just so ready to be mad at people for having fun There's in a, a totally I, yeah. normal, uh, non intrusive way. That people have been doing for uh, lo- generations. Lots of times. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. It's I do I do think that this is one of the primary uh, brain sickness that is coming out of the uh, the, the coming into the post vax period. Yeah. Which is that I think there is a lot of people who realize that they really enjoyed scolding people. Yes, and I understand why scolding people feels good. Yes, it's, you get to it's you, you get, get to, to be morally superior, righteous. You get You're to feel like, right. It's uh, yeah, good I'm, to feel right. I'm correct. I'm I am right, and I am just, and I am better than these other people. I'm better than these other people. Look, it's a picture of a. A hundred thousand people in Chicago, and I am better than all of them. All of them, because look at I'm how many people better. I'm better than. Yes. Uh, and uh, I don't know. Just look, look in your heart. Look, look uh, in in your brain hole and think why, 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 <laughs> why. Um, anyway, if anyone's going to Riot Fest in a couple of weeks, we'll be there. Yeah, unless <laughs> uh, unless the entire city of Chicago is locked unless down. Unless Lori Lightfoot uh, puts just, a puts a dome over Chicago, puts a, do- puts a dome over Chicago yes. the way they do in that in the Simpsons mm-hmm. movie when they uh, yeah. put the dome over Springfield, or like that TV show Under the Dome. Under the Dome, of course. So unless Chicago gets domed, uh, we will be there for Riot Fest. And in if it gets domed while we're there at Riot Fest, then, then I guess we're just in the yeah. dome. I guess we're just under the dome. All right, uh, I think that's enough for today. Uh, uh, happy Eschaton. Happy Eschaton. <laughs> play, play one of your tennis quarter toys <laughs> responsibly. <right>. Bye. <laughs>